Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. As always, I'm your host, Bill Sickens. With me today, Jeremy and Gretchen. Hello. Hello. Hello there. So we've got some interesting guests coming up this week. We're going to be talking about SSO and how to get your website listed on sites like Google and some little tricks of the trade. We have an expert coming up here in a little bit that's going to talk about that. We're also going to be talking about a local event in Oregon, the Cruise In Car Festival, Classic Car Festival. Coming up here in June is going to be a lot of fun and have a guest coming on to talk about that. They're coming back after a two-year hiatus due to COVID, and it looks like it's going to be a really busy show this year. I'm getting the feeling there's a lot of pent-up, I want to go outside going on here. Definitely. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) I I think we have that too. (laughs) Uh, A little bit. So next week, we're going to be talking about the McMinnville UFO Festival. So that should be a lot of fun and see what uh, what we find at that. So like I say, got a good show for you coming up this week. We're going to also be doing a Q&A. And with no further ado, let's dive in. What do we have in the news this week? Apple employees revolt against mandatory back-to-work policy. So Apple is putting together a mandatory hybrid policy that you have to come back into the office three days a week. And evidently, mm. the people that work for Apple don't like it. That's a shame. Yes, it is. You know, Although one thing I have to say, as an IT person myself, I do like working remotely. This has become really nice, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't miss having to go into an office. Now, I think on some of these bigger projects, because I've dealt with this too, is the collaboration component, and we do a lot with Zoom and other resources like that, but it isn't exactly the same thing. So there's a no. certain amount of sense I could see to requiring something like this. But then you're also looking at dealing with something like Apple's campus is down in the San Jose metro area there, and it's busy. So you're now you're dealing with commutes and traffic and all of that traffic, kind of thing again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's a little bit of a trade-off. I think they're looking for more flexibility and stuff like that. And this, I think, is going to be the first of many of these kind of arguments, big or small, that are going to be going on in a lot of companies. You know, mm. if they're smart. They'll have their employees come in an off hour. That's not the traditional time when you're supposed to start work. Yeah, you know, I had that kind of a schedule when I was working with Intel. Oh, this was 15 years ago now. But uh, you could do that. And it did allow me to miss traffic. So I like that. I think that's a good idea. Hmm. Hackers are now hiding malware in Windows event logs. Yeah, so they're always looking for a new way to do stuff. And this definitely would qualify as that, I think, without a question. So for anybody that's not real in-depth into Windows or maybe hasn't experienced this, is Windows keeps logs of what they call events. And these are things that happen on your computer. So like if a program crashes while you're running it or if something goes wrong, you can look in the event log and see what happened and try to troubleshoot it or at least figure out what's going on. And... Through a complicated system, I'm not going to try to explain how they do it here, but they figured out a way to put 8-bit sets of code within the event log that can be assembled later. And then they get in a bad DLL file, and this starts getting into some techno babble. But the point is, is it's a very unique way of dealing with something like that. And it was not something that's entirely expected. Microsoft's in the process of patching. And I think we'll be able to see this on the antivirus programs pretty soon, too. 
but just another kind of strange thing that you wouldn't necessarily think of that's happening here. Technology companies starting to devalue. Yeah, we're seeing a drop of kind of across the board on the value of technology companies. We've talked about Netflix, they've dropped it. I'm starting to see it in some other places too. So it's going to be interesting to see if this is a just a blip on the radar or if we're actually starting to see contraction. Uber is the latest one to announce that they're going to be cutting staff and that uh what did they call it, Jeremy? Being an employee is a privilege or something? Yeah, they were gonna they were gonna say it's a privilege. So yeah. which is a unique way to do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, oh, now boy. I know there's always lots and lots and lots of openings for programmers and that type of stuff. I don't see that slowing down anytime soon, but uh, it is interesting to see where some of these are tr- starting to uh, cut back. Carvana, I know, is another one that just recently announced that they're doing the same type of thing in a lot of their operations uh, positions. So I don't know, buying mm-hmm. a car out of a vending machine, maybe they overexpanded. Maybe. <laughs> Nanomagnetic computing could drastically cut AI's energy use. Well, that sounds like something you might hear on Star Trek. It's a little science fiction for me, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So AI, in order to operate, requires a lot of computing power. So you're dealing with a situation where these systems are usually in a data center or something that will accommodate that. When you talk to your smart speaker, what it's actually doing is recording what you're saying, sending it to the AI that's on a server somewhere on the cloud where the AI then understands it, interprets it, and sends an answer back. And with high-speed internet, you can do that fast enough that it doesn't feel like it. But the mm-hmm. voice recognition in that example is not actually happening on your device. And what this is is an approach to be able to embed AI functions into much smaller devices that would use less energy. Hmm. And it gets into some very interesting concepts here. The one that I thought was really interesting was the idea of a use of something called a metamaterial. And these type of things create an environment where things react in a way that they wouldn't in the normal environment. I'm oversimplifying, but that's Mm -hmm. how that works. Uh, In this case, applying magnetic fields to tiny magnetic elements that can process complex data and provide predictions using a fraction of the power of a normal computer. Now, whether this actually works or not will be seen, but what's being termed an artificial spin system could have some interesting applications and some other things on down the road. So again, kind of an interesting new technology. And if you're into this like I am, the article is an interesting read, but it definitely uh, is something that I'm not entirely sure this is going to work. California targets loud exhaust with sound-activated camera enforcement. I used to call those things noiselers. Noiselers, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, I do have to ask the question. And and I'm a car guy, but I don't know why I would pay to modify my car so that it's loud like that. Yeah, some of them sound horrible. Yeah. (laughs) California has defined this. uh, They have a specified decibel level at which stock or modified exhaust systems are deemed too loud, 95 decibels for car and 80s for motorcycles. This has been something that's been on the books for a while, but the way that they're doing the enforcement on it is changing. What they're using is a sound-activated enforcement system, as you said, and sensors are activated when noise levels exceed legal limits. Smart cameras are then used to obtain a clear photograph of the vehicle license plate. And then that information is sent back kind of like a red light camera would work. And once it's reviewed, 
it uh, will send you a ticket automatically. So you you don't even have to worry about that. How nice. It's and fascinating. It, well, it's interesting because I know these systems work. It's actually not really a still. It's a it's an ongoing. So a red light camera and this type of a system is actually a video camera. So it's recording everything 24-7. When you see the flash, that's when it's taking a shot to save for the purpose of issuing a citation or something. But if you've ever wanted to go in and see, like you're challenging the ticket or something, it's actually a video that you watch. So conceivably, that could get sound and probably already does in a lot of places. So the idea hmm. of this being an option is something that I'm kind of surprised it's taken them this long to put it together. So they're still working on dealing with the program, and there's some things where it's awaiting approval. But it will be interesting to see how this is put into place, what roads they put it on, if it works, and if it has any effect on calming the loud vehicles. Hmm. Some new BMWs will need a software update to get Wi-Fi, Android Auto, and Apple CarPlay. Yeah, interesting thing here. Cars have been in short supply. Mm-hmm. I know this myself. I'm trying to uh, find a daily driver and have had some difficulty doing that. And the same thing is going along with a lot of the manufacturers here. And what's going on with BMW is they switched the hardware that they were using for their Wi-Fi hotspots and then Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. And mm-hmm. the software is not done yet to run that hardware. But the oh, cars nice. are built and ready to be sold. So instead <laughs> of holding it up, what they want to do is um, do an over-the-air update. So you buy the car. It doesn't work right now. But when it's available, they'll go ahead and send it out and get it to you automatically. So that's interesting. You know, one of the other things I saw in the news, too, and I just want to close with this, is Apple, after 20 years, is ending production of the iPod. Yeah. You know, and this is a cool device. I I like the standalone music players. It's one of the few Apple devices I've ever owned. And I thought it was really good. And I've had some of the knockoffs, MP3 players and stuff over the years. And I I don't know. I just, it it changed the way that we consume music and audio forever. And, you know, here's to Apple and their iPod. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is user-friendly 2.0 SEO screen, screen engine. No search engine. There we go. Optimization. I, I know, I know these acronyms. I really do is a big deal. And joining us now is expert Brandon Leibowitz of SEO optimizers. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. So since I can't even seem to remember what the acronym means, tell us what SEO is. SEO stands for search engine optimization, getting websites ranked on Google. All right. So that sounds like a big topic. And it's something that our listeners ask us a lot of questions about. Anybody putting together a website or wanting to get exposure wants to set up SEO. How is this important to getting the word out to the internet that your website is up and ready to go? No, it's important because everyone is searching on Google nowadays and has a mobile device. And if you're not online, you're missing out on a lot of potential leads and traffic. So Google is a way, I mean, SEO is a way to get you free traffic from Google. So of spending money on ads, now you're going to get that free traffic. Because when you search on Google, there's ads at the top. Those are all paid. But right below the ads is organic the SEO results. And that's what 
we're trying to get you into is that free result. So you're not paying Google or anything like that. You're just getting that free traffic. So what does it take to do this correctly? I know this is a big part of your business, but if you had someone that I've just, I've got my website done and I'm ready to get it listed on Google and I'd like it to be, you know, in the first few results, how do you take it from there? It really varies depending on the website because it's not really a one size fits all. It really depends on what keywords you're trying to target and how competitive the industry is. The more competitive it is, the more time it's going to take for SEO to kick in and the more SEO that we're going to have to do to get you up there. But also, it depends if you're a local business versus an e-commerce business selling nationally. It just really varies. But the more important things are really content. Google feeds off content. The more content you have on your website, the better off Google is going to be able to read it and understand it because Google is just a an algorithm, a spider that they have that goes around trying to read the internet and read all the content on the internet, but they can't really read images and videos yet. They're getting better at it, but they really rely heavily on text. So the more content you have on your website, the better off Google is going to be able to read and understand what keywords you're trying to focus on. All right. So it sounds like if you want to list your website, there's no real submission process. You just have to have it set up properly for it to be able to be searched. And you had mentioned that it takes some time to get in there. How long does it take from posting your website to actually being able to be seen on a search engine? Well, it usually takes about six months to really take full effect the SEO, but it just depends. If there's no competition, then you'll be moving up to the top pretty quickly. But if you're in a heavily competitive industry, it might take a year or two years. Like if you're selling t-shirts and you're competing against like Amazon and Walmart and all these big corporations, it's going to take a little extra time versus if you're, uh, let's say, a dentist in San Diego, not as much competition as t-shirts. So it'll be a little bit quicker to get you up there. It'll still take some time, but it'll be faster to expedite it all. So, so what you're basically saying is the local market would have less other people that are already listed, essentially. Uh, for the most part, unless you're a restaurant in Los Angeles, then it's probably going to be even more competitive than some industries. So local doesn't always play out. It just depends on what city you're in. If you're in New York or any of these big, big cities, then like if you're a realtor in New York, probably more competition than some of these other businesses that are selling kind of unique general, like maybe they're selling organic t-shirts or organic cotton t-shirts. So it's a little bit more niche, but still heavily competitive, but not as competitive as some of these other really big local type of markets. So does it become necessary then for the person doing the searching to search on their local things? Let's say I have a t-shirt shop. I'm in Oregon and say we have a t-shirt shop up here in Oregon and somebody was searching for me and they were in Oregon. Would they have to actually search on t-shirts Oregon to get me in the upper part of the list? Or if they search on t-shirts, would it just know where I am? It just depends if Google thinks that they're looking for a local business and they'll show localized. But if not, then they're going to just show national. So it just depends on what that person's searching and what the product is. The shirt is probably going to be national since it doesn't have to be a local. Unless you append it with near me or store or something like that, then Google knows that you're looking for something local. But it just depends on your intent behind the keyword search that you're putting in there. So speaking of keywords in the olden days of the internet, 20 years ago, you know, when this all started, you used to actually include keywords and search terms and stuff in the header of your website. Is this different? No, you still want to put keywords in the coding because Google can't 
doesn't see what we see. Google looks at the coding on your website for you to put keywords in different places, like a title tag or a meta description or header tags or putting keywords in your image file name or putting keywords in the content and putting keywords, kind of sprinkling it all over the website. That's what Google is looking for. It's just not doing too much, but just doing enough where Google's able to read it and understand and get the intent behind what you're what you're trying to target, what keywords you're trying to focus on. So let me ask you another question. You know, wherever there's anything where you can set up and deal with things, there's a good, but there's also sometimes misuse of the technology. What would stop somebody, if anything, from being able to put in fake keywords to try to get the website to match to something different than what it actually is? Well, people try that all the time, but Google's been around for over 20 years and they've seen all the tricks and they know when people are trying to manipulate them. And it doesn't work anymore because you can put keywords all over your website, but Google's not going to rank you. Google doesn't care what keywords you put on your website because they don't trust anybody. Because they've seen too many people try to trick them over the years, like you're saying, like putting incorrect keywords and things like that. So what Google's looking for are called backlinks. They want to see other websites talking about you. If if Google sees other websites talking about you, that's kind of like a vote of confidence or a vote of trust from that website saying, we trust you and we think that you're a good relevant website but backlinks are the most important thing and without backlinks google's not going to trust you and not going to give you those rankings so google is able to pick up on all these tricks over the years and it's tough to trick google it was easier 10 years ago but now google's seen almost everything and they're on top of it but it seems like it almost have to be for them to have accurate return or it wouldn't work right you know which is which is the point of curiosity so you talk about backlinks a little bit. Is that part of the SEO process? Yep, that's probably the biggest part of SEO is backlinks. Without backlinks, none of this SEO, none of the changes you make on your website matter because Google's not going to trust you. Yeah, backlinks right. are the most important thing. So let's say we have somebody that's got their website up and they're ready to sit down and deal with this process and hire a professional such as yourself. And they, uh, the first step would obviously be to get in contact with you. And then what goes from there? Do you just need their information or is there something else they can be doing to get set up? No, there's a bunch of things they can be doing. It just depends how involved they want to be. If they want to start blogging on their own website, I would recommend blogging once a month on their own website and making sure that they try to add as much content to their pages as possible and things like that. But when I help out with clients, usually I take care of everything for them so they can just focus on the business and not have to focus on all this technical kind of SEO aspects or writing blogs or writing press releases or all this content marketing that needs to be done nowadays. All right. And how do we find SEO optimizers? So for everyone listening, I create a special gift for them. If they go to my website, seooptimizers.com forward slash gift, they could find that there. That's S-E-O-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com forward slash gift. Brandon, thank you so much. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Send us your questions and your comments. One user friendly on Facebook and Twitter, userfriendlyshow.com is our website. We're going to talk a little bit pop culture for 1960s pop culture, a little bit before and a little bit after, and that's with classic cars. 
Joining me now is Renee Barros with the Sherwood Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to User Friendly. Hi, thank you. It's great to be here. So Cruise In is a big car show that's very well known in Sherwood, I know. And tell us a little bit about this. So Cruise In Sherwood is a annual event. Well, it was annual except for the last two years due to the COVID but it's an annual car show that hosts around 400, 450 cars. It's a co-branded event with the cruisers, the Sherwood Cruisers and the Sherwood Chamber of Commerce. It's an event that not only has wonderful cars, but it's also an event for that's family friendly. There are booths and activities for the kids and then a block party at the end of the day with various bands that come and play and entertain all the guests who choose to dance and have a lot of fun. So do I have to have a specific kind of car? Or does it have to be like a classic Chevy or can I enter anything? You can enter anything. There's a variety of different categories. It can be stock. It can be custom. It can be anything in between. So we have different years from the 1930s, 1920s on up to where we are today. Okay. So when I get my 1936 Auburn and my security guard to stand next to it, I can go ahead and enter that or <laughs> <laughs> Most anything certainly. on from there. Too cool. Yes. Too cool. Now, uh, you said this is very much a family event. And from my understanding, it's held outside in downtown. And we're going to be in June this year. So the weather will be really nice. And uh, I think it's it's something to go ahead and bring the entire family to. Is there a cost to attend? There is not a cost to attend. There is a cost to show your car. It's $25 to show your car. There are vendors and food booths that will would be gladly take your money. But right. as far as the event itself, it's it's free to the public. Okay, so typically it's free to get in, but there's a lot of places to spend money if you want to do that. And, Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you, I know you said this is an annual event. We've had a lot of those that... Uh, COVID has really disrupted things. And I'm glad to see this one coming back, you know, because we've lost a lot of things out there. How many people attend this? And do you think uh, you're going to see the same amount this year? Yes. Annually, we have around 10,000 people that that attend the show. And if the amount of calls that I'm getting is any indicator of the amount of people who are ready to be back out at the car show, then it's going to be a jam-packed year. Yeah, I have a funny feeling there's a lot of people that are really pent up wanting to go do stuff. Yes, yes, (laughs) exactly. One of of those type of things. So tell us a little bit, what kind of vendors? I know you said there's some food booths. What else is there? Yeah, lots of food booths. There's there's going to be a new vendor this year called the Tap Truck. They take a vintage car and they made it into a beer tap. Oh, wow. uh, there are going to be booths specialized in jewelry and crafts. There are vendor booths that are more like insurance, that type of thing. So there's a little bit of everything. And then you go to the kids zone and you'll find activities specifically for the kids. So like I said earlier, it's a family friendly event. Now, if you have a car you want to enter, can you just register the day of the show or do you have to pre-register? You can, as long as we still have spaces, you can enter the day of the show, but we would prefer that you pre-register and pre-register closes on the 28th of May. May, May. Okay. And how do you do that? Where do you go and what do you do to pre-register? Go to chamber or no, sorry, sherwoodchamber.org. Click on the 2022 Cruise in Sherwood logo. 
and you will see a tab that says pre-registration. So you can pre-register your car. You can also buy apparel up until the 20th of May, pre-register your apparel. And then if you want to volunteer, which in order to do a lot of the things that we're doing that day, we need volunteers. There's a volunteer tab as well. And volunteering for something like this, it's, it's a lot of help, but it's also a lot of fun. I've done events like this in the past, and anybody that wants to come out and just kind of be able to jump into things a little bit, I strongly encourage that. So SherwoodChamber.org, click on the Cruise In tab, go through. The forms are really easy to use, if I even say so myself. (laughs) (laughs) Since you did them, I think they're pretty easy. (laughs) There you are. There you are. And I'm going to be entering. um, My mom has a 66 Volkswagen Beetle. She bought brand new. We still have it in the family. And we just got done getting it rebuilt. So I'm going to be entering that myself this year. So that'll be a lot of fun to see how that goes. Awesome. Well, you mentioned that 35 Auburn. Do you not have that? Not yet, but maybe. Okay. I, okay. I don't know if it'll be before the deadline, though. Gotcha. I mean, that's <laughs> my they, hometown. Uh, hey, you know, cool. That works. Renee, <laughs> thank you so much. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're going to have a special extended question and answer segment for you today, which we're going to dive right into here in just a minute. But before we do that, send us your questions. Send us your comments. One user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter. 503-766-6264 is the phone number, and userfriendlynation.com is the website. What questions do we have this week? Did Russian TV really get hacked? So the story on this is that last week's Victory Day celebration in Russia, the mm-hmm. idea has been floated, and it's looking like it's a credible one, that hackers, probably from Anonymous, were able to get in and hijack the broadcasts and be able to put in anti-war messages and all kinds of other things that they wouldn't normally have wanted to be there. So the answer to this question is yes. This actually did happen. It has been confirmed. And it was quite successful. Huh. So the next question is, how could you hack a television broadcast? So, I mean, this is um, digital versus... Analog? Yeah. So Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, this is kind of a big topic question, but it is one that's interesting, especially right now since it's been done. You know, on the other side of it, could it happen here? And I've always said that there is nothing that's hack-proof. And Mm -hmm. as we get more and more into digital, it does become easier to hack. So like Gretchen, you were saying with the old analog television broadcast, this would have been much harder to do. It would not have been impossible. And it also depends on the era you would have been trying to do it in. But I remember back in the days that we were working at television studios that had the mechanical switchers that would physically move a VHS tape in and out of a slot for airing, you could get in and hack that system. So in a sense, that would be hacking the broadcast. Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about here is the idea, uh, especially in Russia, they use terrestrial television primarily. They do have cable and some other things like that, but the primary use is that. And in that, how would you go about actively doing this? And you get into the system at the point of transmission. It's all digital, so it's no different than hacking any other computer, really. And then you're able to go in there and insert something as they did into these broadcasts mm-hmm. to be able to get it out there. Now, as to the actual ABC of how you do it, if we were to talk about that right now, I might get in trouble <laughs> from uh, 
the FCC, among others. So I'm not going to go there. But uh, <laughs> it's like, don't explain to people how to do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, the actual technical process, you either know or you don't, but it is definitely possible. And yes, it could happen here, satellite over the air. Or so anything else. Is that in the new anarchist's handbook? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to comment on that either. Actually, no, it's not. But anyway, so there's you know. a new one. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh. but at the, at the end of the day, I, if someone did want to Google something like that, there's a lot of information online as to the actual pieces of how to do something like that. But more to the point to answer this question, yes, it's possible. Yes, it can happen. Yes, it did happen. And just like everything else, we want to watch and see, make sure, and do whatever we can to try to prevent something like that. Hmm. What is going on with Netflix? I don't know. They seem to be taking a lot off lately. But uh, hmm. So question comes out, Netflix stock tanked. And uh, I think we talked about this previously, their stock tanked because of the fact that uh, their subscriber growth for the first time hasn't been there. It actually shrunk a little bit. Uh, this happened once before in the very beginning of the service, but it has been a long time and the first time in the streaming era. So the concern is from a lot of these companies is that the market for streaming is very much oversaturated. And we have a number of different servicers. I mean, Netflix was the first one, but we have Hulu, we have Discovery Plus, we've got HBO Max, we've got all these Disney other Plus. ones. Disney Plus is another big one. Thank you. You know, to a point that they tried to release CNN Plus, which we talked about last week, mm -hmm. which was out for a month and then turned off. And at the end of the day, that's what's happening here. So tech seems to be taking a little bit of a downturn. We don't really know if this is going to be prolonged or if it's just a glitch. Time will tell on that front. But that's what's going on. You have a lot of other options out there. And a lot of these other companies are pulling shows that they previously had on Netflix back to their own platform yeah. to try to get subscribers on theirs and make them not available anywhere else. So we're seeing that happening too. And all mm. these things have kind of created a bit of a perfect storm. Okay. Can I really get free internet? You know, we talk about these scams so often that when mm -hmm. you see something like this, that's the first question and the first question I had. But this one's actually real. What's happening is there has been a government program for a while, this goes back to COVID, that was paying the monthly internet bill. Originally, it was doing, I believe, $50 a month for low-income people that would qualify for it. To qualify hmm. for it, you would have either had to have a food stamp card or be on Medicaid or one of those type of things or, be, or go through and do a process to be certified. One thing that's really cool about this, though, is it was able to bring internet to a lot of people that couldn't otherwise afford it. And I'm of the school of thought that high-speed internet in your home is really no longer a luxury. Mm -hmm. We do so much with it now that to be able to yeah. work and, and participate if your kids go to school, all of that kind of stuff, you really do have to have an internet connection and a good one, or you can't connect and can't function, which makes it almost like a utility. Well, in January, the program was redone where they went from $50 to $30 a month of what they would cover. So people that were on this now had covered part of the bills, but not all of it, but it was still a step in the right direction. Well, in agreement with the White House this last week, they've come out with this new system where a lot of the main providers, Comcast, Spectrum, AT&T, and so on, have agreed to a $30 a month tier that's still covered under the plan. Now, you're not going to have a gigabyte of data and fiber and all the rest of that, but you will have good, dependable, high-speed internet, and it does make it available to many people, many households that wouldn't be able to afford it otherwise. Oh, that's hmm. kind of cool. 
Are we finally getting a new Avatar movie? Yeah, on the pop culture side of things, we are, actually. The trailer just dropped this week, and it looks like it's going to be very, very interesting. I've been looking forward to this. I like the uh, Avatar, uh, so more of the franchise is really cool. Avatar 2, The Way of Water, is the title of the film. And it's going to be coming out at the end of this year, I believe, in December. Mm. And we are looking forward to it, and we'll definitely review it here. Is it possible to change a laptop battery that is built in? Good question. Laptop computers, you used to be able to pop the battery off and another one on. Now, most of them are built in, so you actually have to take the case apart. But yes, it is possible to change the battery, but it does take a little bit more technical know-how to do it. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to going to an actual event this week. Yep. yep. We'll talk about the UFO Festival next week and kind of what we figured out. This one has a chance of being really unique. We've looked th- through some things. I've never heard of the discipline of a UFOologist. I think I'm saying that right. But I guess we're <laughs> going to find out what that is, among other things. <laughs> hey, they got panels and parades. It should be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Actually, they do. And... uh a lot of activities. It'll just be fun to be outside, I think, a little bit. Yeah, we're supposed and I get to get to a wear little, a costume. <laughs> get to wear a costume. We're supposed to get a little rain one day, and then the next day is supposed to be sunny. So it'll depend. I'm going to bring the Wookiee out, but I might not do it while it's raining. So we'll just have to see how that goes. Yeah. Hmm. You know, wet Wookiee could be a bad thing, right? <laughs> and so, I think it might smell <laughs> funny, too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a question that came in from a listener, just kind of off the cuff here, is can I get to my old MySpace account? Now, for anybody that doesn't know, MySpace was a predecessor <laughs> to Facebook. Yeah. And there were a lot of, there were Foursquare and a lot of other services. Angel Fire was another one. Mm. And, uh, you know. Angel Fire was like a Facebook? No, Angel Fire was another service. Oh, okay. From the early part of the internet that you don't see a lot anymore. Yeah. So Angel Fire hosted websites. Yeah, that's awesome. So you can make say. your own websites. So these things actually do still exist. I checked it out for the answer to this question, and you can go to MySpace. It still works. I don't know completely if all the data would be there. I didn't have an account in those days, so I'm not 100% sure. But it did look like you could search, you could post, you could sign up, you could do all of those type of things. So that seems to be there. Angel Fire, by the way, um, you can actually still get to some of the pages. And a lot of people have lost their passwords and things. So you'll <laughs> occasionally stumble upon this very old content that <laughs> goes back to that era. And in those days, the way they would do a website is, first of all, it would have been made for a much smaller monitor than we most use now. And then the second part of it is, is they usually gave you a predefined background of some kind that was two color, maybe 16 colors. And and no, you know, hardly any pictures. Hardly any pictures. And, you know, they are sometimes difficult to read and all of that kind of stuff. Foursquare, mm-hmm. I found, is interesting. It's on Garmin, the navigators. Wow. Among other things. Okay. Okay. Or looking up informations on locations. So they're still out there too. So the stuff doesn't, I mean, some stuff definitely goes away. Mm-hmm. But in this case, these particular sites still seem to be out there. So that's kind of cool. Do either of you ever go on MySpace? No. No. Yeah, I know it was a little bit before my time, too, and I didn't even go on Facebook. I am not, admittedly, the biggest social media human on the planet. 
And even mm. in his heyday, I, I don't know. I just, I, I know there's a lot of people that like it and enjoy it. And I think that's cool. It, it's a great way to pass the time. It's just something I never really got into. Yeah. But I, I do have a Facebook account and I have an account on Twitter and LinkedIn. And that's kind of, I've never been on Instagram. So, you yeah. know. Hmm. Anyway, until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2022. User Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.